When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books with anyone and everyone. While listening to my podcast, you will hear author interviews, behind-the-scenes conversations about various aspects of the publishing world, theme discussions with other book lovers, and more. For more book recommendations and a complete list of all of my interviews, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. In 2022, I would love for you to join my Patreon group. I offer at least two bonus episodes a month and a monthly advanced read and pre-publication author chat. For those on Facebook, I host a special Patreon Facebook group where we all chat books. Thanks so much to those who already participate, and I hope you will consider joining us. Today, Chanel Clayton and I are chatting about our last days in Barcelona. Chanel is the New York Times and USA Today bestselling author, of Reese Witherspoon book club pick Next Year in Havana, When We Left Cuba, The Last Train to Key West, and The Most Beautiful Girl in Cuba. Originally from Florida, Chanel grew up on stories of her family's exodus from Cuba following the events of the Cuban Revolution. Her passion for politics and history continued during her years spent studying in England, where she earned a bachelor's degree in international relations from Richmond, the American International University in London, and a master's degree in global politics from the London School of Economics and Political Science. Chanel also received her JD from the University of South Carolina School of Law. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Welcome, Chanel. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so happy that you're back. It's really fun to now be doing round two with a variety of authors. I just love that. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about our last days in Barcelona. Can you give me a quick synopsis for those that won't have read it yet? Sure. So our last days in Barcelona is a dual timeline, and it's kind of the return of the Perez sisters. So the book fluctuates between uh, 1936 and Barcelona, Spain, and we get to kind of go back in time with the Perez mother, Alicia and learn a bit about her past. Um, And she's in Barcelona during the Spanish Civil War. And then in the 1960s timeline, we travel with Isabel to Barcelona, um, because Beatrice has gotten herself into into a situation and Isabel heads over there um, in search of her sister. And so it's really a family story and very much kind of a reunion um, for these characters that really have such a special place in my heart. And everyone else's heart as I was on Goodreads, just kind of reviewing the reviews before we hopped on. So many people were thrilled to pieces to visit the Perez family again. 
Oh, well, thank you. And I have to say, you know, really, this book came from all of the readers who would ask me, you know, when I was going to tell the other sister stories and would ask for more of the Prez family, I hadn't really intended to tell Isabel's story. But it just it moved me a lot to hear that people had connected with these characters so much and that they wanted more. And that really is what inspired me to write this book. Oh, I love that. That's interesting that it kind of came from the readers this go round. Yes, yes, definitely. I think it was a little hard because I had just written When We Left Cuba, kind of when I started conceptualizing this. And with When We Left Cuba, you know, I was so in Beatrice's head. She's one of the Perez sisters. And she and Isabel are definitely the two that kind of um, are in conflict the most. They're the two eldest and they have um, personalities that kind of clash. So it was a little difficult to be in her head so much and conceive of telling a story from Isabel's perspective, because so much of it had been kind of, you know, Beatrice a little bit at odds with her sister. But the more I started to think about it and hear from the readers and kind of conceptualize what Isabel's journey would look like and all that she had been through, it, it really kind of hooked me and I knew I wanted to delve more into her character. Was it really fun to do that? And were there things that surprised you about Isabel as you were writing? It was, you know, I really fell in love with her character. Um, as I kind of alluded to, you know, in the other books, I wasn't as connected to her. I'll just be honest. Beatrice has such a big personality and kind of tends to dominate the story when she's on the page. And so I was so wrapped up in writing her with When We Left Cuba. But when I started Our Last Days in Barcelona, I really thought about who Isabel is, what her role is in the family, the kind of responsibilities and sacrifices she's taken on for her siblings and how much she's really devoted to them, I really began to kind of understand her character better and have such an appreciation for kind of the way in which she goes through her life and then was able to, to delve a bit deeper into what are some of her passions and, and her dreams. You know, I had spent the other two books next year in Havana and when we left Cuba, focusing so much on Elisa and on Beatrice, that it was really nice to kind of see Isabel get to be at the forefront of the story and and learn that she had passions of her own that you know, for different reasons, she'd kind of had to put by the wayside um, because of her family obligations and kind of the expectations of her as the eldest sister. Absolutely. And I enjoyed that their mother was included as well. And we learned more about her. Yes, she was definitely um, a fun character to write in the sense that I feel like she's been kind of a mysterious figure, you know, in the series, she's definitely very present and has such a huge influence on her daughter's lives. Um, and at times, you know, they are at odds with with their mother. And that has definitely been something that's been a thread throughout the books. And so I wanted to kind of delve back into the experiences that had made her the way that she was and to kind of give readers a deeper understanding of, you know, how those things have played a role in her life and, and made her into the character that she is. So I really enjoyed that as well. It, it was initially um, not intended to be her story as well as Isabel's. And then as I was working on the book, it just felt so natural because I think, you know, as the eldest, um, Isabel's life has really been influenced by her mother's expectations and kind of her mother's worries for the family and um, the sense of responsibility that has been placed on Isabel's shoulders. And so I wanted to explore that relationship a little bit more. And I feel like, you know, in a way, they're kind of the most two connected characters in the in the family um, in terms of the relationship that they have. And so it just felt very natural to to do a dual timeline story and kind of have their experiences play out in tandem. Do you think it's easier to write a dual timeline story or a story set in one particular time? You know, that's a great question. And I think it really just depends on the book. The book I just finished that's coming out is just set in one timeline. When We Left Cuba was pretty much just set in one timeline. So I've done both. Um, and I really think it just 
depends on, you know, what the story demands. I mean, there's definitely benefits to both. Dual timeline can be a bit tricky in terms of knowing when you want to flip between the time periods, when you want to flip between the characters, and also making sure you don't give too much away. I mean, that's definitely one of the challenges because I do tend to have quite a few secrets in my stories and, you know, wanting to make sure the reader doesn't get somewhere before they should um, because they learned something in a timeline that would influence the later one. So there are definitely challenges, but I also think it's nice. You know, one of the things I love about writing historical fiction is kind of the appreciation of how the past informs the present. And I think a dual timeline format kind of beautifully brings that to light for the reader because you see that kind of thread, especially when you're working with a family like this one where, you know, themes of family legacy um, are really important and kind of carry on from one generation to the next. So I think that in these intergenerational stories, that dual timeline is, is really useful to be able to employ. I really enjoyed dual timeline, particularly because of what you just described. I think the past history informs the present. The other tricky thing I think about dual timeline, though you always handle it very well, is tying them together. Because sometimes you'll finish a book and you'll be like, I really like both those timelines, but I don't think they connect very well. And that has to be a tricky part as well. It is. And, you know, I will be honest with this book. I definitely played with that. You know, I tend to be someone I don't really plot my stories um, that much. My editor and agent are really wonderful that I can kind of pitch them an idea and they sort of let me run with it and play with it. And I find that creatively, it comes out best in that process when I kind of have to work with the story a bit and figure out, you know, the the mode in which I want to tell it. And as I mentioned, you know, at the onset, originally, I was not necessarily planning on putting Alicia's story into the book. It was really more Isabel. But I, I realized I couldn't tell Isabel's story on all that had influenced her and all that she sort of carried with her without acknowledging her mother's story and how she had been raised with certain expectations and sort of beliefs for herself. And so that's when it really naturally came out was in that character development. And so then it really organically tied them together because it was such an intrinsic part of Isabel and and her growth as a character. And that's probably when it works the best, when it evolves the way you just described. I, I thank you. I hope so. <laughs> that's always that's always the hope, definitely. Um, but it, it it felt like it worked at that point for sure when I kind of got them um, into that relationship. And I have another Perez ancestor that I have in as well, who also just tied into the whole kind of family and generation beautifully. Um, she is a granddaughter of one of the characters in The Most Beautiful Girl in Cuba. So it was really kind of my evolution of this family and, and following them throughout uh, different time periods. Is this the last story that will have the Perez family? That is a great question. You know, I never say never because obviously I wasn't intending on writing Isabel's story. And then here we are. Um, I do have an idea for a story for Maria. I'm not quite sure, you know, when I would write that one. Um, my next book is not a Perez um, family story. Uh, it does have Cuban characters and has the the strong tie to Cuban history, but it, it does not feature Perez family members. But I, I have to say, you know, I love this family so much. Um, and they have such a special place in my heart that I'm sure, you know, I'll continue to revisit them in future books and and just always kind of revert back to these these stories. Because like I said, I mean, it really I feel like this journey of writing historical fiction has been so tied to these characters that it's, you know, it's a really kind of emotional experience for me when I tell their story. Finishing this book definitely um, felt like I had spent some time with kind of friends or family members. So it was it was really nice. And the family clearly resonates with readers. Well, thank you. No, I, I have been so just kind of blown away by all of the support that that readers have given these characters and you know, definitely inspired me to, to want to tell more stories about them. 
So tell me about your research, because you include several pivotal historical moments, and that must have taken some time and effort to research those. Yes, I mean, definitely, you know, I feel like when you're writing historical fiction, everything always kind of starts with the research, because, you know, even though I don't tend to plot too much, you know, and I have a sketch of an idea when I go into my books, obviously, you need the historical details and facts to fit the plot of the story and and what you want to do with the story. So often, my plot really develops in that research period. And I can look at kind of pivotal story beats and how that's going to influence the characters and the decisions they're going to make and where I'm going to set the story. So definitely, you know, I always spend time before I delve into a book, doing a lot of research and um, really kind of getting, you know, a handle on the, the framing that I want to use for the story. With this book, you know, what really drew me to this topic in particular came from research that I did for my last book. So my last book, The Most Beautiful Girl in Cuba, was set during the Cuban fight for independence from Spain. And so, you know, I was at this reading about this very contentious period at the end of the 19th century where Cuba and Spain were locked in this, you know, fight for Cuba's independence. And I came across mentions in the, you know, reading about the relationship between Spain and Cuba about how Cubans had volunteered to go to Spain during the Spanish Civil War to fight on the Republican side. And I think it was just kind of an interesting juxtaposition um, because I had been reading, you know, about this conflict that they were involved in. And then to think, you know, 38 years later, um, Cubans were going to Spain to volunteer to fight on the Spanish side for the Republicans. I was just really interested by that. My family has been in Cuba for several generations, but my distant, you know, ancestry, they came to Cuba from Spain. And so I've always had kind of, you know, grown up with that appreciation of the Spanish heritage um, that's definitely part of my Cuban heritage. And so I wanted to explore that relationship a little bit more. And that was really what sparked um, my interest in this story. You know, I definitely wanted to keep it kind of focused on Cuban protagonists because the Spanish Civil War is such a, a sensitive and difficult subject for Spanish people. And I didn't have family in Spain at the time. So I didn't really want to tell the story from that perspective because I didn't feel like that was really my place. But adding kind of the international component in and how many people came and volunteered and how kind of the the fight in Cuba and the, the fight against fascism kind of influenced Cuban politics and the efforts in Cuba to raise money um, and to kind of raise supplies to help the people of Spain. That was something that I really um, wanted to focus on and, and kind of bring out. And then I also think the Spanish Civil War is just such an interesting precursor to World War II, which is often kind of overlooked, and and the sense that all of these people came to fight because they realized that there was this international threat of fascism. And so really delving into that a bit more and, and exploring that. I've always felt like it was a very interesting time, and I'm not as familiar with it, but I think you're right. Looking at it as a precursor to World War II is definitely important because it is one of the reasons I think that we all entered back into a second war. And so it was interesting to learn more about it. It also really made me think about everything we're going through today with Russia invading Ukraine and those people having to try to find some place to go. I just felt like there were some parallels. Yes. I mean, that's definitely, you know, I think with each book I write, you know, I always kind of find modern parallels and it, you know, it's always kind of disheartening to see how history kind of repeats itself. But definitely, you know, you do see those parallels. I agree. Well, what surprised you the most about writing this one? You know, I would say really um, just how much I kind of fell in love with Isabel and and the, the mother, Alicia. Um, you know, like I said, they were characters that I had been a bit uh, distant from in, in my earlier books. And just being in their heads and kind of looking at the world from their perspective and their personalities and, and what it would have been like to kind of go through, you know, exile and war 
in that time period as women just really, really moved me. And I, I found that to be, you know, I think probably the most surprising thing was just how um, kind of much I fell in love with their characters. That's interesting. And it probably did surprise you since you felt the most distant from her originally. Yes, yes. And and like I said, you know, I think it was partially because Beatrice is just such a big personality. I mean, I when I started writing When We Left Cuba, I kind of always told the story that I didn't mean to write Beatrice's story, but she kind of like pushed her way into my head. Um, and I had the opening scene of When We Left Cuba come into my head when I was writing Next Year in Havana. And I literally had to stop writing Next Year in Havana to write that first um, scene in When We Left Cuba because she just, you know, I couldn't not hear her voice. And then had to kind of set that book aside and go back to next year in Havana. So I think it was um, really a lesson in, you know, I always try to kind of put myself in my character's shoes and really relate to them as much as possible. And I think when I had the ability to do that with Isabel, I just admired her strengths so much. And also, you know, it was so nice to kind of appreciate the differences in the sisters, um, just the differences in their personalities. And also how they could come together despite those differences and how the common bonds between them, you know, the experiences of exile, the love of their family, the loss that they've been through, um, really bound them together. Well, and how differently they appeared to you. Beatrice is like pounding on you, tell my story, tell my story. (laughs) And you're turning to Isabel and saying, okay, I need to tell your story. Let me figure out what your story is. So it's kind of interesting, you know, it really goes with their personalities. Yes, very much so. Isabel is is much quieter, um, but there's, you know, something really beautiful in her kind of quiet strength. And and you realize just how, how devoted she is to kind of her family and what she believes is right and the links that she'll go to for those things. And being the oldest child, I'm the oldest child, and I do know that puts you in a position that's different than the other birth order children, because you are the oldest, and a lot of times more is on your shoulders. Yes, yes, absolutely. And and I think that responsibility is definitely something, you know, she feels the weight of and that, you know, her parents put on her as well. So it's not just something she grapples with. Absolutely. Well, who is the hardest to write and who is the easiest in this one? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I have to say they all were kind of easy once they came to me. I feel like there's, I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like something unlocks with characters um, in the beginning. And there's always that kind of introductory moment where you're like getting to know each other and you're sort of figuring out their quirks and sort of getting inside their head. But then once you kind of unlock, maybe there's like something about their essence. I think it just feels very natural um, because you really start to kind of view the world through their eyes. And, you know, we spend so much time with our characters when we're writing these books, you know, not just drafting, but edits. And, you know, when you go through um, excerpts to use for for publicity and, and for events. So really, they become like family or friends. I mean, they become kind of fully fledged people in your life in a way because you, you live with them for so long. So I think um, once you get past that kind of introductory, you know, figuring out the story and, and, and who they are, it, it really becomes just like you're having a conversation with with an old friend. It's so funny that you say that about them becoming family or friends. And I haven't had this conversation with an author in a while, but I went through a period where several people had mentioned that. And they said, even when the book was done, they would find themselves thinking about the character. Like, I wonder what Isabella's is doing now. Does that ever happen to you? It definitely does. And, you know, I, I would be remiss to not say, too, I have the advantage here of having written, you know, so many other books with them in there. So I definitely came in with, you know, a prior relationship, which could be good and bad, because you had some preconceptions, or maybe, you know, some, some instincts or or kind of impressions that came from other characters, because you were in their heads. But, 
you know, having written these characters for so many books, you know, I think that did give me kind of the advantage of knowing who they were and kind of knowing their backstory and then being able to jump into the story a little bit more quickly. And and that's part of why, you know, I have continued to revisit these characters is because they do sort of tug on your your heartstrings and you think, okay, you know, a few years have passed, what would they be doing now? You know, how would their lives have evolved? And certainly, you know, when I mentioned I have that idea for Maria, you know, that's a little bit the case as well. It was kind of as I was writing Isabel's story, I was like, oh, well, actually, you know, this, this could be a, a future path for Maria that she could go down. So they, they do stick with you. It's, it's hard to let go sometimes because you are so invested in, in the characters and their stories. Well, and as you're writing them and you're learning more about them, do you do that through just sitting down and writing the book? Or do you do a period of time where you sit down and say, okay, let me brainstorm about Isabel and make notes about her? Or is it just a straight through writing process? It's really just the straight through writing process for me. I, I've tried doing, you know, and I know some authors do really like doing kind of character mapping and, and, you know, they'll go through kind of extensive questionnaires with their characters. Um, I've tried that. I find that the best thing for me is just in the story. Like if I just start writing and kind of see where the story takes me, if a situation pops up, and then I have to kind of say, well, how would Isabel respond to this? That really kind of helps me. And I think too, the fact that I write in first person helps me feel like I'm really directly in their head. It's almost like their thoughts become my thoughts, my thoughts become their thoughts. So you kind of feel that immediate connection just in the way it comes out on the page, um, because it is first person. You're just really inhabiting the characters' lives. Yes. I mean, I think so. It's it's kind of like you you feel as though you're kind of going on the journey with them. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's a good way to put it. Chanel, you always end up with the best covers, and I love seeing what your latest book is going to look like. Can you tell me how this cover came about? And also your titles. I think it's so interesting to see what goes into a title, and I'd love to hear more about that. So I thank you so much for the the covers. I mean, I, of course, cannot take credit for it. Um, the Berkeley Art Department always does the most amazing job. And, you know, I always kind of laugh because with each cover, you know, I've loved all of them. So the bar gets a little bit higher. Um, and yet they always, you know, just blow me away with what they come up with. And I think each, like, each most recent cover is always my favorite of all my covers. So that's been a really wonderful thing to to be surprised with and to experience. With the cover, you know, I think about a year ago, maybe a little bit more now, it usually starts with an introductory conversation with my editor. And, you know, we just go over kind of character details, traits, you know, appearances. She'll kind of ask me for any ideas I have on the cover. Um, I will be completely honest. And I always say this, I am not gifted in that that area. Like I just don't visualize things um, artistically. So I kind of offer my little little hints, but um, really it's the art department just so beautifully kind of brings my books to life and their vision always really feels like it's just spot on for um, the characters and the story. And so this was another instance where I was just really grateful. You know, we do usually go through a few covers and you kind of can go back and forth a bit. So it's it's really nice to be able to to give my input. And I think they always really want something that I'm happy with. And I'm, I've always just been so thrilled with the beautiful covers that they've created. And then with the title, you know, we did go back and forth a little bit with this one. I will be honest, titles probably, you asked me which character was the hardest to write for me. I would say the hardest part of the the publishing process is almost always titles for me. It just, some come easily, but it, it, it's a little bit challenging to kind of condense your novel into, into a short title. And then you want to do something that hasn't been used already. And when you kind of have so many connected books like I do, where a lot of them feature place names, 
you know, there tends to be kind of an enthusiasm to to put a place name into it, which adds kind of another layer of complexity to coming up with something. But this one, you know, we just kind of went back and forth and it, it felt like it fit the story. I wanted to highlight the setting so readers kind of knew where we were going to be in the timeline. I mean, there is a setting that takes place in Cuba with Rosa, the Perez cousin. Um, and there's little bits of Isabel in the United States as well. But really um, wanted to kind of highlight the fact that the dual timeline is in Barcelona for these characters. And then, you know, just felt like it kind of fit the spirit of both timelines um, in terms of how influential this time spent in Barcelona was for the two characters. I can't believe after all of your books that I have read and paid attention to the titles and covers, I never made the connection that most of them or all of them have a place name in the title. Isn't that funny? It just didn't occur to me, but I love that. Oh, well, I'm glad I'm glad you like it. Thank you. No, it's it wasn't intentional, um, but it's kind of like once it starts, you right. know, it kind of takes off and has a little bit of a life of its own. Um, so yes, that that is something we've kind of gone with. But I think it's, you know, nice to have kind of the cohesive thread um when you have the the Prez family to kind of know, you know, the the titles are somewhat similar and kind of play off of each other. Absolutely. So now they're going to be telling you, okay, you need to write about someplace else because we have to use it in the title. (laughs) You're like, no, no, I'm set on Cuba. (laughs) Do you want to talk a little bit about your next book? Sure, I will. I will talk a little bit about it. I just turned it into my editor. I'm just my first draft to her. So waiting on edits and everything, but it will probably be out May next year. Um, We do have a title, but I probably am not allowed to share it. So um, it is set in 1934 and it is um, set on a cruise ship. So it's a real ship. It was called the Moro Castle and it sailed from New York to Havana and back again. And um, tragedy struck the ship in 1934. So this one has um, two protagonists and there are passengers on the ship um, and they both kind of have a lot of secrets and there's a lot of kind of subterfuge going on in this book. So it was really interesting to write it. Definitely um, one of my more action-packed books. And I, I really enjoyed kind of getting to go through that. So I'm, I'm excited to share it with everyone and to see covers and kind of move forward with that process. So it's definitely, you know, it's always fun to be able to kind of delve into other time periods and other worlds and, and to um, learn more. I mean, the, the ship, the story of the ship is really pretty incredible and very sad, you know, circumstances that happened to it. Um, and it wasn't something I really knew much about until I started researching um, what my next book was going to be. So it was just a really interesting journey kind of going to, through the path. And I'm just really excited to share it with with everyone. That sounds really good. I'm already excited. Oh, well, thank you. And I, sorry, I'm always a little vague because I don't want to give away too much that's spoilery. So I always have to be careful. Um, but yeah, that's that's what the next one is. So, Well, what about what you've read recently that you really liked? So I've read some amazing historical fiction arcs for books that are coming out soon. That's always one of the best best parts of the job. I love to read and and love getting to kind of see sneak peeks of these books. One that I really loved that I just finished uh, was The Winter Orphans by Kristen Beck. And that one is coming out in September, I believe. I read her debut, Courage My Love, and really loved that book. Um, so I was really excited to read her follow-up. And this one is set during the evacuation of Jewish children by the Swiss Red Cross um, in Nazi-occupied France. And so it's a really powerful story, um, really emotional and just very beautifully told. So I really recommend that one. Um, And then I also read Sister Mother Warrior by Vanessa Riley. And I believe that one is out in July, I think. And that one is a story of the Haitian Revolution from the perspective of two real-life figures, Grand Toya, who was a West African warrior, 
and Marie Claire Bonheur, who was the um, first Empress of Haiti. And it's just this really powerful story of their roles and um, in the Haitian Revolution. So that one is really beautiful. Um, I love Vanessa's writing. She wrote Island Queen, which is amazing. So I highly recommend her new one as well. It's sitting on my bedside table, and I cannot oh. wait to get to it. I love her writing as well. Yes. No, it, it was amazing. You know, I, I really just, I felt like I learned so much, and it was such a powerful story. So I, I definitely, I think you'll really enjoy that one. Okay, good. Well, Chanel, thank you so much for joining me today on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I always enjoy speaking with you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I always love being here. I really appreciate it. Don't you know that you're a grown up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.